Georgetown, um, Columbia, he's a fellow on the external advisory committee for the MIT Energy Initiative where I was the executive director for, for uh, about six and a half years, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, but I wanted to uh, introduce Phil and it's odd to introduce a, a former member of Congress by talking about a member of Congress, but it, it, it reminds me of Phil, I'll tell you what. Uh, now Senator Martin Heinrich came to MIT and Heinrich is a, when he was running for the Senate, Heinrich is an engineer. And we took him around to the laboratories at MIT. And after he toured the labs, he was very engaged, engineer, blah, 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 asked very intelligent questions. And our head gizmologist at MIT came up to me afterwards and asked me, are they all like that? And I said, no. And I would say the same thing about Phil. They're not all like that. <laughs> They're not all like that. Um, and my experience on the Hill with Phil and, and, uh, and, uh, and subsequently um, making policy in Washington uh, where he is different is that he's incredibly educated. He's a PhD in political science. Um, and Phil was able to get a lot of things done and still be a really nice person. And so, so those are two areas where he's a standout um, and different than, uh, than uh, a lot of the crop you see up there today. And so thank you very much for coming and we look forward to hearing from you. Well, thank you very much, Melanie, and I appreciate that. I'm honored to be here, and, I, and, and also knowing that the amount of expertise and knowledge and, and activism, both in the environment as well as in the business community that this represents, so I'm quite honored to be here. But I have to tell you that, frankly, as a former member of Congress, I'm honored to be invited about anywhere. <laughs> When I served in the last millennium, uh, why the, uh, you know, that was when Hi. Americans loved their Congress. 
trust you don't buy that. Um, I, the only thing I wanted to add to your introduction is because it sounds like I was for all the regulation in the world and I was for a lot of regulation. But I, I just want to make it clear I, I uh, helped lead the charges to uh, take away price uh, regulation of natural gas uh, and to bring a competition into the uh, wholesale electricity market. Can't claim that's all done as well as we'd hoped, but it was an effort to try to say, look, these markets are vitally important and we have to find ways to use effective uh, uh, regulation, but also capitalize on the, the vigor of the, of the marketplace kind of thing. Well, what I'm going to do the, this afternoon here real quick uh, is I'm going to do a 50,000 foot landscape flyover. I find when you fly at 50,000 foot, you're unlikely, feet, you're unlikely to make a mistake. It's when you get down lower that you can end up having trouble uh, uh, in the facts and the fields and the weeds where many of you work hard uh, every day. Uh, but we can, in the conversation, uh, get there, and I'm sure some of you will challenge us, because I'm going to make a number of just assertions uh, and speculations, uh, which may or may which I reserve the right to change my mind next week. <laughs> I had 20 years in Congress, for God's sake. Uh, There's a microphone there. Oh, thank you. You think I need that? Can you hear me down there? No. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I drop my voice, just, just scream at me, uh, kind of thing. But what I wanted to particularly look at here is that over the last 40 years, we have tried on, we've had several waves of, of policy making by the federal government to try to reshape and significantly redirect our energy markets in this country. So I'm going to try to deal with that broader question. Don't misunderstand me. Specific energy policy and specific things can make a big difference to individuals, to companies, to the, uh, all kinds of ways in our society. But that's not where my focus is in, in this uh, theme. It's that are we really reshaping uh, the market in a big way? In the 70s, I was very much involved in the efforts to try to wean us away from foreign oil in order to try to get more control of our energy markets. In the uh, 2000s, we saw that a revival of that with the high cost of oil, and we saw dramatic interventions into the marketplace by the Bush and the Democrats uh, in power to try to uh, get to some kind of control on the high cost of oil in this country. Uh, and then building on a lot of those things that were adopted during the 70s, even under President Bush, uh, Obama took it to another level and was trying to hard push hard uh, to get the clean energy, so-called clean energy revolution. There's a lot of pieces to that, but uh, to go in and redirect the marketplace. In all three cases, uh, we certainly made differences in the marketplace, but the reality is none of them yet paid off in a way that created what was intended and what was hoped for uh, by the original uh, drives uh, for policy. And, uh, and each wave has ne necessarily been, had a limited uh, success. Well, if we go back to um, the Obama thing, and I'm not going to run through that, they kind of, their mantra was all of the above, but of course they didn't want coal to advance, and they were only partially uh, uh, supportive, well, they were with a uh, uh, loan guarantee of, of nuclear energy, uh, but nonetheless, they were, they were pushing hard for clean energy through regulation, through taxation, changes in tax policy, uh, and particularly through appropriations like in the research and development to get it highly focused on innovation uh, through the new agency ARPA-E, but other projects uh, as well. Well, now when Trump comes in, we had this upheaval in the politics that was unexpected last fall, of course, or a year ago, mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing. But it significantly opened the political possibility of very significant changes in public policy from the federal level. Uh, and I'm talking beyond energy. I mean, obviously, in how we, the major spending priorities of the country, uh, whether even the entire regulatory systems uh, were potentially, uh, uh, could be changed. and. Um, uh, and certainly uh, 
uh, on a number of uh, possibilities. And in particular, though, on energy, of course, uh, the goal has been clearly, and, and by the way, they've gone at it vigorously, is to reverse the Obama climate actions and to try to reverse that. So they obviously have gone through trying to propose rollback in regulations on the clean power plan. That's EPA's effort to regulate the, uh, the electric power plants in the country. Uh, on the fuel economy standards, which, by the way, it was the Bush administration and the Democratic Congress that got new, uh, new change in that law to help advance that. But it was Obama who uh, very uh, very difficult political uh, operation. Uh, got the state of California to agree with the federal government, two different regulatory programs there, uh, to get the series that are under play now and what's being, uh, what uh, the Trump people are talking about is rolling back the next phase. It was, there's a, something called a midterm, mid-course uh, correction in that. Now there, we don't know how far they're going to go. Some people think they're only going to modestly uh, adjust it, but we simply don't know uh, in that. And of course, uh, just in general, uh, as uh, people like my friend here uh, know, they, they've tried to undercut the use within the regulatory apparatus of something called the social cost of carbon. That's simply one of the, the cost calculations that go into the regulatory analysis that's required of every major regulation. And this is to try to, uh, they say, well, Let's cut back on that price, and they've already made a major adjustment in the hope that they will not get as much uh, direction of, of um, you know, policy that would affect the climate. And of course, we all know they've tried to withdraw from the Paris International Accord. Uh, and then in their budget proposals, the budget recommendations from Mr. Mulvaney, uh, <coughs> so think of him wearing horns, but uh, the, uh, in, in, in terms of the bu budget thing, they obviously have proposed slashing uh, the science and climate, slashing, doing away with this ARPA-E, this major new uh, innovative uh, uh, research program in the federal government. Uh, they, uh, they proposed getting rid of the loan guarantee program, again adopted under Bush uh, kind of thing, uh, and that loan guarantee, except bef before they close it out if they get their way, they made a grant to Vogel, the plant in Georgia that's under construction by Southern Company, uh, of another $3 billion on, on that to try to keep that, uh, what is very shaky um, uh, financial proposition going on the building of those two power plants, uh, nuclear power plants uh, down there. And then, of course, across the agencies, there are half a dozen agencies that are important in the information flow on climate. They've tried their best to try to diminish uh, the public education in that. At the same time, uh, on the, uh, in, under the rubric of uh, energy dominance, they are trying to promote uh, more production, and, um, and they would say across the board, but it's primarily to try and design to get coal and, and uh, fossil fuels uh, increased in production uh, in the country, and the way they've gone about it is to uh, try to propose rollbacks in a variety of environmental uh, regulations such as the, how, what, what's required of you when you do deep sea, uh, deep, deep uh, water drilling uh, on the outer continental shelf, or what is required on public lands uh, for the natural gas uh, uh, drilling, or uh, for mountaintop mining, uh, the rules that just came into play to try to protect the streams from the stuff that's fleshed out uh, from that uh, kind of thing. Another of their proposals that was just came out uh, about a month ago was the, uh, the five-year drilling plan of, what, of the leases that they plan to uh, 
at least sales they planned to have in the outer continental shelf, in which they took a radically different point of view from something over the last 25 years, and that is to really open up the East Coast, the West Coast, 90% of the coastlines of America to the potential for oil and gas drilling. Not all of them would be lucrative or happen, but that's a, that, that is a significant uh, drive to do that. One of the most, uh, well, the more interesting things that they did was uh, uh, technically okay under the law, but the Department of Energy uh, invoked an unusual provision to tell the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, that's the independent agency that oversees electricity markets, the wholesale markets in the country, that you should redefine the rules and make sure you put the, your thumb on the scale, meaning price supports, for anybody that has 90 days uh, worth of um, uh, uh, fuel. Well, the only two areas that have 90 days worth of fuel are nuclear plants and uh, uh, coal uh, plants. And of course, it was designed especially to help uh, the coal plants uh, in this uh, kind of proposition. And their claim was the reliability of our electric system uh, needs this, and they were hoping to forestall a bunch of planned shutdowns in the electric utility system uh, of coal power plants. The trade picture, of, obviously, is only beginning to unfold, but it did uh, this week with the adoption of the 30% uh, increase on the solar uh, uh, panels and the uh, cells that come primarily from China, but also other places. And the outcome of that is yet to be uh, seen, but our colleague here, Peter, was describing how already here in the state, uh, because of his company and NGOs and things that are involved in this, that there's already a diminishment of employment very quickly because the expectation is the rising cost will undermine their sales within the lower income communities uh, kind of proposition. It's not clear how much the utility scale would be affected. I think this is one of those uh, ugly arguments where some win, some lose, and, and whatnot. Um, but let's look at how, how well they're doing about actually causing these changes to come into place and then whether or not they're really going to transform uh, the, the market. Because what you have to remember, unless they get major changes in Congress, which, by the way, they may try for, but right, right now, to change any of these rules requires rulemaking, a very complex and uh, uh, difficult process. So it's slow, it's difficult, and uh, it also means you can face all kinds of court challenges, my our colleague here from the NRDC. Uh, he hasn't told me this, but my understanding is they've had no difficulty since the election of President Trump raising tons of money, adding new lawyers all across the country, and, and, going, and ready to interfere. That doesn't mean they'll win them all, but believe you me, uh, this will have an impact on the speed with which all of this uh, uh, occurs. Um, and the other thing to remember about this is as long as they're only changing rules under existing law without changing the law, it means the next administration can reverse it. Uh, that's a slow process. It affects you know, the speed which investments are made and stuff, but it's not like it's a permanent uh, or a, a strong fix uh, if you're of the mindset that they are uh, to uh, try to keep these coal plants going and, and add to the, uh, the fuel mix. Uh, if we look, for example, at the Clean Power Plan, that's the EPA regulation that was uh, put, just had been put in place by the uh, uh, Obama administration to regulate the power plants, uh, that they're trying to, uh, <clears throat> obviously they've got to come up with a new rule, 
But the one thing they haven't challenged yet is what's called the endangerment finding. That has already been approved by the courts. That is the trigger to regulating the power plant. So they're probably going to come up with something that causes, that regulates the power plants, but only in a mild fashion. And I already mentioned the fuel economy standards, what they're intervening, they're trying to do the midterm thing. Even if we look at the Paris Accord, and by the way, it only took the international community 20 years to get to this agreement. Uh, and and, uh, and it, I think it's a very important one. I think we were stupid for a variety of reasons to get out of it. But what people don't realize is it doesn't really require very much of us. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I frankly am delighted that they decided to aggressively announce they were going to leave because they could have played a game in which they said, oh yeah, we're committed uh, and we don't do much and we don't do anything and we drag our feet and we encourage other countries to drag their feet. Instead, they caused an instant crisis uh, in the international community, all kinds of businesses who are in planning, some of them who believe fervently you need to be taking action or at least you need your clarity of policy. Um, they came forward, international leaders came forward. The good thing is, forced a lot of these people onto the line, <laughs> the front line that we didn't know exactly where they stood. Uh, and whether they would stay committed. Um, and by the way, technically I think it's four more years before he can actually pull the plug, mm -hmm. two, two or three more years before he can actually legally. Two days legally, after election day in days, Yeah, kind of thing. So, um, and, and by the way, in the recent paper that came out of the administration called their National Security Strategy Paper, which is a lengthy thing that in theory gives guidance as to where we're going in international policy, it actually says we are a leader in cutting greenhouse gases and we will we will continue to work in this. Uh, this is a main priority. Now they also talk about expanding uh, fuel, fossil fuels and stuff of this sort. But the point is there's a lot below the surface in which there are clearly people uh, in this and in Capitol Hill that are not willing to become actual <coughs> deniers uh, and to uh, totally roll everything back. Now the FERC rule, which could have had some impact on the existing coal plants in the country, actually was defeated outright by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, all I think of whom had, now some of them are Democrats, had been appointed by Trump. So they actually mm -hmm. denied him the rule. This was a real a significant slap in the face politically uh, at the administration. But it also shows the strength of our, our institutions that these are supposed to be independent regulatory agencies that try to work within the law. One, they claimed that the reliability argument was very weak, and they probably cited the, the more recent uh, the, what's it, what was it called, the bomb cyclone that, that came into this part of the country and, and everything else. And they said, oh, guess what? The electric system held up. It didn't have to have more coal plants or the, everybody operating. And, and the other was, uh, it clearly was going to be an interference in competitive markets uh, in which generally many people, including myself, are much committed to trying to sustain competitive uh, markets on the wholesale market uh, in the electricity system. Take the OCS drilling plan, the five-year. It's a five-year drilling plan. Well, when it would take effect, this, this announcement of drilling offshore, uh, it would be in the 2019 to 2024. And, and right out of the box, they make what would, <clears throat> the courts might end up really is a capricious and arbitrary move to say, oh, we didn't mean you, Florida. <laughs> we, we, we just, without a hearing, without analysis or anything, we took you out of it. Uh, and guess what? 
Republican and Democratic governors up and down the East and West Coast, most of them are Democrats, uh, are saying, excuse me, why, why are they out and we're in, kind of thing. But this is only the beginning of the process. That they, to even to get to what they have as a five-year plan is at least the end of this year, if not uh, well into next year before that is settled. So let's say they do keep open major areas. Uh, and by the way, I'm not against all this drilling. I'm just saying they, they, uh, they're talking about the prospects are happening. The next administration has the option of defining, taking off the table all kinds of sales that they're projecting that they will do or areas that will be. They can take them off. They can set conditions that might be make them uneconomic or at least uh, questionable uh, to investors as to how far to go with this. Uh, so I, don't, I think we're headed more in that direction. Now, the one, the one thing that is significant and more permanent, in my view, is that because this the Congress did in the tax bill was to open up ANWR, that's the uh, Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, uh, the, the plane right before the Arctic Ocean, which had been uh, ha required an act of Congress to open it up ever since we did the D2 lands issue. 400 years ago, uh, th this has been a protected area, potential for oil drilling, but not allowed until Congress opened it up. And, and Lisa Murkowski was very successful in, in getting to do that. Now, I think it'd be very difficult for a future Congress, my own view is, to put that back on. Uh, unless the Democrat, or it takes more, it's not just, it's not just the Democratic Party issue. Uh, it would, you would have to really uh, overcome the Senate filibuster, among other things. So I think it's likely to be uh, politically sustained, the opening it up. But as I said here again, the next administration would set conditions and terms and, and what, or, or this administration will start out uh, kind of thing. So uh, it's going to go in that direction. If we look at the budget, uh, <clears throat> you may have noticed uh, the Congress has had a little trouble uh, settling on what the appropriations ought to be for the year that began last October. Uh, the fiscal year began October 1 last year. Here we are almost to February, and on February 8th we'll find out whether uh, we shut down for a short time again or not. But notice what has happened, because this is not what happened under the Reagan Revolution. What has happened is they simply have not been able to get their act together in a way to make a significant shift in a whole bunch of priorities uh, in spending. And what that has meant is when I mentioned to you they wanted to close down RPE, they actually last fall in the CR, it's all kept going. All of this, these expenditures that they say they don't like are still going forward at this point. Uh, and in terms of the uh, RPE, they actually upped it 8% uh, last fall. And by the way, uh, in the appropriations bills that have been moving in the Republican House and Senate, uh, the House would close it down if they have a bill they've already, they've passed appropriations bill. The Senate appropriations bill, which the committee has put together, actually keeps RPE and increases it. So it seems unlikely that they will do the slashing of science or the slashing of, of RPE that, that at least they certainly uh, came in uh, claiming that they were uh, going to do. On the tax side, uh, I, you, you're more familiar with that than I am, but as Peter and I were talking about before, they, they because of who knows why, but uh, essentially Republican champions for things like wind and solar and, and the vehicle tax credit, those tax credits continued uh, under the plan. Now they do phase out in 2021, 2022, something like that. But the point being, that they kept them in, that shows you there is politics 
that wants to uh, preserve uh, some of these things. Now, as, as many people have speculated, the value of those tax credits change or probably are diminished in the marketplace because of the other tax changes. But that's the way of the world. That's not a, a, sort of a deliberate thing to get at the solar tax uh, credit uh, kind of thing. Um, if we, um, well, now we may actually see this next year. It's going to be interesting. We may actually see the gasoline tax finally pass. Um, but uh, that would be to help sustain infrastructure in the country. But, but that as an energy policy is, in my view, minor. We're not talking about a gasoline tax designed to try to get consumers to behave differently. We're talking, to, we're talking about somebody's likely at best, if they get it, to be marginally increased. Uh, not that every consumer is going to stand up and cheer, but that they will be marginally uh, to help pay for, uh, which we've got to find ways in this country, we're, we're smart, we've got to find a variety of ways to uh, strengthen the infrastructure in a variety of areas uh, uh, for this country. But let me turn to a little different um, uh, concept here, and that is that, that um, excuse me, I'm just trying to see how bad I'm doing, how bad I'm doing on the time. Um, the, um, and that is that, um, Um, and that is, so how, uh, how significant is federal policy in general in the marketplace? And the thing to keep in mind is I always find that you talk to one group of people and it's all about the marketplace does it all. You talk to another group of people and, oh, no, my God, federal policy, and that, this is what's driving markets and progress and everything else. And uh, it's awfully hard to get an accurate picture, and I don't claim to have it, of what is the relative value uh, in terms of a decade ahead uh, on the energy markets. But let me just quickly review what many of you know are major factors that's going to affect the next decade in this country that are independent or significantly independent of, uh, of the, uh, whatever the federal government is deciding uh, here in this process. And if you'd start with the, the some of the obvious ones that people would sometimes say are market uh, fundamentals or market factors, um, Obviously, our supply of oil and natural gas has significantly increased because of the fracking revolution. That's a complicated thing, but it's, it's really uh, significantly changed uh, our domestic flow. But very significantly, what it means is we have a lower price level expected. Now, believe you me, if that price level changes, that has big impact. But, we, uh, that's, so, but that, that continuing supply is clearly going to have an influence. And by the way, that is what is going to keep restraining coal plant. Uh, additions in this country very significantly, in my view. Um, and many other people actually do more than I am on this. Um, and now, and by the way, our position in the world market has changed significantly so that we are now one of the big swing producers uh, in that. But make no mistake, we are still independent in this global oil market. It's not as if we suddenly have got or are going to have any time what's called independence uh, from the oil market. Half of our oil is going to is continue to be imported. Big change from where we were. But but let me tell you, if there's a big political upset in the Middle East or something like that, we're going to face major oil uh, price increases that will feed throughout the world economy and our economy. So it's not as if we're free from this. We're not. We're independent. We have to stay focused uh, uh, on that kind of an issue. And by the way, adding another million barrels a day of American production is very unlikely, in my view, to add to what we may call our security, 
We, we are engaged in this, let's get over it, let's stop talking as if we are some independent island uh, because we are not, uh, kind of thing. Second thing is a big factor is, of course, the reduction in the cost of renewables, wind and, and solar energy, and they've come down, especially solar, very dramatically. But I think even more important, they are now what I would call incumbent technologies all across the country. There are jobs, investments, all kinds of things involved in, and that means there's political support. It's one of the reasons why if you wanted to clean up the tax code, you might have gotten, under the theory that you're going to get rid of deductions, you might have gotten rid of those solar tax and credits and like that. Not possible uh, to do, and I'll come back to that in a moment. A third major uh, thing is, in addition to, to me, in my mind, there are two major sort of technological revolutions that are driving the markets heavily. One is on that fracking one, what's in oil and gas. The other is the digital revolution continues to flow through this, it's, and it's very significant in the electric industry, uh, and it's, it's changing the way you do business, changing what you can do with the grid, what you can do in the management of the energy efficiency, the production, all up and down the line, and people are struggling to figure it out, and it means that all kinds of entrepreneurs and others, and of course in this state, they, I think they embarked on the idea that they would know what utility 2.0 is by the end of the year, and uh, <clears throat> I'll bet you they don't by the end of the decade, but the, um, I, I don't belittling it. It's a very important discussion that's going on about what this electric system is, and one of our biggest challenges is, is what is, how we got, because we regulate state and federal and all kinds of ways in this, and it's very complex. Uh, thing to straighten out, but that's going to continue to be, but it's being shaken to its roots by the changes that are being driven by, the, in part by, uh, uh, in large part by technology. And of course, uh, it doesn't really fall into digital revolution, but the whole issue of whether or not we're going to see significant storage possibility, which tr changes significantly the way we would manage uh, this, uh, things in this industry. Well, let me... Um, uh, uh, then we turn to a, another factor besides these sort of market factors, and that is state policy. Five years ago, what just hap is happening at the federal level was happening at the state levels. And that was the political drive was to roll back renewable portfolio standards and other uh, state incentives for uh, clean energy, for efficiency, and all of that stuff. It was a major drive, highly organized across the various states. And there had been the Tea Party Revolution, which meant significant changes in many state organizations. Overwhelmingly, those failed. Not everything, but overwhelmingly, they failed. So we are at a different point now. And so state governments are not only sustaining policies, we have seen actually an increase in policy. Partly, uh, local forces are arguing they have to do it against uh, Trump and the administration. But in part, it's just a, a broader uh, effort that's going on in the states. So that the regional greenhouse gas initiative here is going to probably have New Jersey rejoining, probably have the state of Virginia shockingly joining, uh, may even uh, have some interest from the state of uh, Philadelphia, uh, um, Pennsylvania as it tries to figure out how to be a part of PJM and, uh, uh, and to uh, deal with this. We have the state of Nevada that just adopted a Republican governor uh, last year, a whole series of solar incentives and things of this sort uh, after they had tried to undo the whole thing a couple years ago. Uh, we, we have the state of California, the state of uh, uh, New York upping their uh, RPSs and stuff like this. Now, let me say, I don't think this is always the most efficient way to do things, and I'm not defending all these actions, but what I'm trying to say is the notion that suddenly you're going to have a different world because the federal government is taking this, this is going to have an impact. 
uh, and, uh, and the estate policies. But the other is, we are much more compared to 10 or 15 years ago, subject to the influences of foreign government policies. And that is beginning to change. Let's suppose they roll back to some degree the fuel economy standards. Well, if you think General Motors and all of them can throw in the towel on the electric vehicle, uh, I think it's not likely to happen. I think what's happening is other nations in Europe and China are claiming uh, they haven't gotten there yet and they've got a long way to go, that they're really going to go to the electric vehicle. And so for us to play in those markets, we obviously already, while it's a dispute over solar uh, trade issues, the reality is that the solar policies in uh, Spain and the solar policies in Germany and then the, the massive infusion of, of money out of China in the solar development, we in one way benefited massively from this. We could never or we would never put up the same amount of money to overcome the costs that were involved in that if this had been a go-it-alone American policy. So we are subject to these things in ways, and some of it's beneficial and some of it hurts uh, kind of thing. Uh, that in ways that we weren't uh, in the past. And again, that's what I'm trying to do. I don't want to diminish the, the potential to do good and the potential to do bad with various policy moves by the federal government. I just simply want to say, let's keep it in context. Uh, it's not the be-all and end-all by any stretch of the imagination uh, uh, in this. Well, let me um, turn to one last uh, major point here, <laughs> if I don't lose it, and that is... <laughs> Last year, this Congress and this president missed a very important and a golden opportunity to simply get us a pricing policy and climate instead of a highly regulatory one. And, and this was, a, I think, a mistake that they will regret, or at least people who want less regulation in the marketplace will regret this lost opportunity. It may come again, but on that tax bill would have been the ideal political time mm -hmm. to have adopted a carbon tax and then, by the way, you, since you're either going to borrow or you're going to, uh, to make these taxes work, you, and, then, and, and the, the point is, politically, everybody gets to vote for a bad thing, carbon tax hurts, but in return, I give you a corporate tax cut or an individual carbon tax cut. Politically, you can make that work. That is one political strategy that might have worked. And here we had major conservative voices who walked in and came into the front door of the White House uh, at the opening, uh, you know, George Shultz and James Baker and then the conservative economist Marty Feldman and uh, uh, Gregory Mankiw, and they said, adopt a carbon tax. Uh, you know, they wanted it to be uh, uh, revenue neutral. But the point was that what I think they've set up now is that as the politics changes, and it will in one way or another, the, the approach at state and federal level is likely to be highly regulatory uh, on trying to cut greenhouse gas emissions when you had a possibility here of really doing this. Now, I'm not shocked and surprised, uh, given the what I consider extremely arrogant, arrogant ignorant attitudes about uh, climate uh, among some of these people, but it was an opportunity that, that they might well have gotten. And one thing to realize on climate ahead is we're going to have major infrastructure battles uh, related to energy and other uh, aspects of this as we go forward. And we may see them show up next year 
uh, if they actually get, or this year, if they actually get to serious infrastructure things. Because the questions of siting of new infrastructure and the questions of what are the standards, are you going to a 100-year flood standard or are you going to a standard that says, whoa, wait a minute, those standards don't apply anymore because we are already witnessing significant changes in which more and more scientists say, ah, the, the intensification of natural disasters is already being apparent by the warming of the earth. Disputes over all kinds of how far, how fast, uh, these kind of things um, uh, kind of go. Well, let me, um, let me uh, uh, close with um, uh, sort of a political projection here. Uh, uh, and uh, this I really reserve the right to, to uh, <laughs> Just right, well, you could, you could wipe it off anyway. You have to listen to crap all day long. So the, commentary, the commentators always know what's going to happen, I can tell you for sure. The desperate effort of the human being to want to know what's going to happen in the future goes from, you know, the, the Delphi Oracle and, and uh, the augurs of Rome to the modelers of modern America. And they, I, we're going to know, and we're going to have something to act on. And it's a human instinct. And by the way, I recommend the strong dose of by dint of age of skepticism uh, on that front. Well, anyway, um, that obviously our politics ahead are uncertain and in, in turmoil uh, across the country. And it's not just about Trump. It, this has been building uh, uh, as to how do we manage our democracy. One of my real hopes is, and I think we're seeing it is, because Trump is so flamboyant, because he, in some of our views, is so obnoxious in so many ways, he's forcing serious rethinking among intelligent, and there are a lot of intelligent Americans, about what really is important in this system and what's not. Because we all know there's a lot of falderall in American politics and governing. And, and some of these things are important, and some of them, frankly, aren't. Uh, and, uh, and, and same with the news media about what is their role and how they're going to have to behave. And many of us thought they could always behave a lot better. But, um, but the point is, I think that we are seeing throughout our education system. I'm hoping that that is the uh, consequence. I didn't mean to get off on lecturing on that. But I want to suggest to you that Congress may yet next year, and there, this is still would be a, a serious effort if it tried to, if it tried to actually um, significantly change the basic authorizing laws of regulations. Not all of them are perfect. They could be changed, but that could be that that would change this picture, uh, or, or to do something much more broad-based about the whole underpinning of the regulatory systems in the country. A, a bill called Reins. I don't think they'll get there because I think Congress has proven itself a lot weaker, uh, and now is threatened with actually a, a, a political turnover. And one thing to keep remember about the commentators roll off on this. Uh, I think. Uh, foolish uh, uh, stick about whether he'd be impeached if the Democrats got in. Um, that's not the issue. But what it will happen is if Democrats retain that, get the House or even the Senate, is they now have the investigative power. Mm -hmm. And that will become much more relevant to what these decisions being made at the agency level. And the one thing that smart business people know is they need to deal with the administration no matter who's in. But the smart ones are going to be very careful about keeping their skirts clean in terms of how they approach the law. Because this crowd in there now appears, in many instances, to be very sloppy about what are the laws and the rules. And, and they may not be intentionally trying to be illegal, but they, they're at risk of doing that. And man, that can become the high focus of some of these uh, things. Well, uh, I, um, I think the, uh, the administration is trying to change. I think a number of changes and 
few of them I think are probably good, but uh, I think I think we got to keep our eye on the, the long-term practical problem we haven't figured out how to do here or globally is on uh, how far to go on global warming, and I think we need to uh, keep that right in front of us. Thank you.